Come on, if you've been washed by the blood this morning, forgiven, set free, healed, delivered, and restored, can we give the Lord a shout of praise in the place? Amen. 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 Oh, man. So, praise the Lord. Awesome. We are down in number this morning. I've had several people reach out to me and say, hey, we're not going to make it. Not feeling well. Not, And so we're still in that weird season where people are getting sick and COVID still exists, unfortunately. I know some of us felt like when 2021 struck at midnight, it'd go away and life would be better. Unfortunately, it hasn't yet, but God's still good. Amen. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to just tear into this sermon this morning. And I hope and pray that God touches you this morning and that you receive something from what we're going to be ministering in. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to start this morning. If you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, we have started a sermon series called Making Moves. At the beginning of the year, every year, new me, right? New year, new me. We make those kind of declarations, don't we? I'm going to go to the gym more. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be less of this and more of that. And how many would be honest in the room this morning and say you've already failed at some New Year's resolutions you've set for yourself? Thank you for, okay, I was about to say, thank you for the one honest person in the house. Come on, somebody. Um, We made a goal. What's funny is is we made a goal at the beginning of the year that we're going to try our best. And I say try our best because I know I fail often. But we were not going to eat past 7 p.m. And uh, unfortunately, there's been plenty of times at 9.30, Jacob comes through the house saying, why are you eating? We're not supposed to be eating past 7. So he calls me out about it, right? So again... 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a little bit of lengthy reading this morning. Hopefully we can dive into it, okay? Here we go. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but, everybody say but, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive of a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse 5, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my my servant Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. That you could cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. I don't know why people in the Bible were so like extra. We would call that extra, right? I love my clothes. I don't think if I was upset, I'm you know, hulking out of my clothes. But they've done that a lot in the Bible. I don't know. It was a sign of uh, remorse and anguish. Um, however, I love me and my clothes, and I don't want to tear my clothes up. Okay. So anyway, they were kind of they were kind of extra. But the Bible says that he immediately. He tore his clothes and his robes, and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? So how is he trying to pick a quarrel with me? 
ain't that weird? You know, he gets this message from this other king, and he was like, why is this king trying to send him to me? I can't do nothing for him. Is he trying to pick a fight with me? You know, have y'all ever been there before? You said something, and it was misinterpreted, and he was like, you want to fight? You want to go? You know, I've been there before. I've said something before, and they're like, oh, you want to fight? I'll never forget, I was hanging out at a friend's house one time, and this guy's wife comes through, and she goes, you see him? He's mean mugging you. You want to fight? And I wasn't doing anything. So it's, it's kind of wild how, you know, things can escalate to that quick. However, he said, does he want to pick a quarrel with me? Verse 8, and we're going to try to blow through this because it's a lot of reading, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him the message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Okay? We're going to skip to verse 10. Elisha sent the messenger to Naaman, right? Naaman shows up, and the Bible says that Elisha sent a messenger to him and said this, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Verse number 11 says this, But Naaman went angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, he would stand and he would call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He said, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters in Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in his rage. So Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? Verse 14, and we'll stop reading, I promise. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, that's very important, he dipped himself in the river seven times as the man of God told him, and the Bible says that his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Let's pray together. Lord, we just ask right now, that you take this word, that you take this sermon, Lord, that I feel like you've given me, and let's open up our hearts, let's peel back the layers, and let it change everything that's in us. We want to give you honor, we want to give you glory, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. So if you've been with us up till this point, you know that we have kind of been basing this whole sermon series around the game of chess. And uh, for some of us, we don't play chess. I know that there's probably very few people in here who have played chess, but there's something particular about chess that makes it different than many games. Chess has particular, what we call pieces or characters, as I like to call them, that can only do certain things. The pawn can only move forward unless it is taking another pawn. It can only, it has specific instructions that it has to do. It has no other choice. The same with what I refer to as the castle. The same with the, the castle can go all the way across the board to the left or forward and backwards to the left or to the right. That's it. That's all it can do. The horse, he can go in a L shape. Two bars up, one bar over. And he has to stay within that movement. He has to be within that particular movement. It ain't kind of like checkers where you can just go... Hi, you know, you, you go forward, king me. You know, it's, it works a little bit different. Only certain pieces can go certain places. And the same is applicable to believers. I know that this might not be a, a super heavy, rich 
theological sermon this morning, but I want it to penetrate our hearts and go deep into our spirits this morning that certain believers can only do certain things. Come on, somebody. That's why some people are bakers. That's why some people work in factories. That's why some people are police officers or bug men. We do certain things, right? We do certain things because some of us are only capable of doing certain things. Some of us in this room have a great gift to teach people. Some of us in this room have a great ear to listen. Some of us in this room have the capability to lead others, whether we have tapped into it or not. We have all been designated to do a certain thing, right? Can we all agree to that this morning? And so the truth is, and I want you to hear this this morning, let's be honest we got to start doing things the way God wants us to do them. Ouch, Pastor Joe. I was good till you said that, right? But the truth is, is that God has laid out a plan for us to be believers, to be men and women of God. And we, we, when we do things His way, like we've talked about previously in the series, we learn the will of God. What is the will of God? The desire that God has for you as a person. That's the will of God. And if we want to fall into the will of God, what God wants for us, then we have to start doing things the way that God wants us to do them. And we only can do it one specific way. But let's be honest, we often do things whose way? Our way, right? You know, my way, my way, or the highway, okay? Sometimes we get in this mindset where we do it our way, and can we honestly be honest in the room and say it hasn't worked that way up till now? Come on. Every time Joe does something Joe's way, I find myself in a spot. I find myself messed up and in a place. I want to tell you this story really quick before we go any further, because I want you to really hear this, okay? There was a wealthy man who had a friend who was a builder, and this builder kind of fell down on his luck, and he hadn't done much work lately, right? And so the wealthy man felt sorry for him. And because he felt sorry for him, he decided that he would help him out. He offered him a set of plans to check out this house and build this house for $300,000, okay? And the gentleman said, I want you to build me a home. I'm turning the entire project over to you. You make all of the decisions. You make all of the cuts. If you do a good job, I promise to pay you well. I promise to pay you well. The builder was so excited he couldn't wait. He went home and told his family. And when he finally got started, he thought to himself, if I cut a few corners here, and there, maybe I could pocket some of that $300,000 for myself. If I do that. So he went out and he bought the cheapest concrete he could find. And then he had a cement mixer, water it down so it would go further. And he saved probably four or $5,000 just right there. Right? The contractor went out and he found the least expensive lumber that he could find and some of the wood was bent and warped but he didn't care since it was going to be hidden behind the walls. He did the same thing with the plumbing, the electrical work, cutting corners and saving money here and there. And when the job was completed, he saved nearly $40,000 which he discreetly buried in his own bank account. He called his wealthy friend to take a look at the finished house, and the purchaser was quite impressed, actually. On the surface, the home appeared to be beautiful. It was great. The prosperous gentleman never guessed that the builder had cut corners in any way, form, or fashion, compromising the integrity of the house. And the builder was ecstatic as he recognized how pleased the owner was, and he could not wait to see how much he was going to get paid. And as the wealthy man walked to the front door, he turned around slowly, 
with a grin on his face, and he said, you know, I don't really need this home. I already have a beautiful home. Then he handed the builder the keys and said, here, this is for you. You've just built yourself a brand new home. You and I are always building homes. Whether it's on our job, whether it's in our church, whether it's building a reputation or a character of integrity, when you cut corners by being dishonest on your job or failing to give your best, you're hurting yourself. And if you never have time to build God's house with our time and our talents, you're hurting yourself. Poor foundational decisions will affect your future. You may look good on the outside, but inside, you know, the walls are starting to crumble. Truth is, this sermon today is called Cutting Corners. We can't cut corners in chess. You have to go a specific way. You can't cut corners when you're building houses. You have to do it a certain way or the foundational integrity is in question. This works the same way with our lives, every one of us. And it kind of falls back down to this particular story we're talking about because point number one is our own way Cutting corners, doing things our own way, leaves us lacking fulfillment. Naaman was given specific instructions from God through the prophet to do a specific thing. Remember, he said, I want you to go to the Jordan, and I want you to dip how many times? Seven times. And when you come back out, you're going to be cleansed. You're going to be healed. Naaman immediately raged, didn't he? The Bible says that Naaman was told what to do and he immediately just went into this rage. Why did I come all the way here to Israel whenever we have rivers back home that I can dip in there and they are far much cleaner than the Jordan is? Why did we do this? Have you all ever been there before? God told you to do something and the first thing out of our, our God-forsaken mouths is, Why? I could do it this way and it would work much better. I can do it that way and it would work much better. But truth is, it's, we've done it our way for a long time and it's not worked. And it leaves us lacking. And it leaves us empty. And we're not fulfilled. And we're not full like God anticipates for us to be. See, Naaman would have preferred to do this particular thing without the hassle of the travel, right? The Bible told us that he packed up the money, he packed up the shekels, he packed up ten, ten different sets of clothes. Sounds like my wife when we go on a two-day journey. Come on, somebody. But the truth is, is that he'd done all of this work to prepare for a trip and when he finally got there all I have to do is dip in a river he thought it was going to be a certain way and it turned out not to be think about it the Bible says that he was so upset because he anticipated the prophet to come out the door stretch his hand over him and say in the name of the Lord God of Israel you know and then he said it would be the Bible tells us that's what he thought would happen but instead he was given specific instructions and he wanted to weasel his way out of those instructions. My wife and I watched a movie one night um, called Ferdinand. Anybody know the movie Ferdinand? Anybody seen the movie Ferdinand? Come on, younger generation, come through. Thank you. All right, so Ferdinand the Bull. And we were sitting here watching this movie, and my wife says, Get off your phone, honey. We're trying to watch the movie. It's family time. You know, my four-month-old son could not pay any attention to what was going on at the time. And so I said, Honey, God's talking to me. I said, let me write this down. I know some of y'all are thinking, God talks to you while you watch Ferdinand. Yeah, he does. So here's the story. Ferdinand the Bull lived, he was born in a place called Casa del Toro. 
and he was a bull that was meant to be bred for fighting. He did not want to fight, and he wanted to escape. So Ferdinand escapes Casa de Toro, and he runs into this, this young lady named Nina and her father, and he begins to live with Nina, and he loves flowers, right? This big bull named Ferdinand who loves flowers. And, uh, and so he loves flowers, and they were going to the flower festival. Now, up to this point, he was able to go because he was a little bull, but now he's full grown. And Nina's like, come on, let's go. And the dad says, no, he can't go with us this time. He has to stay home. And so in his mind, he wanted to go, but he wanted to be obedient to his, his master, Right? So he's, he's in this kind of weird catch-22, and he says, okay. And he walks up to this tree, and he goes, if that orange falls before the count of three, I'm not going. And he says, one, and the orange hits the ground. And then it cuts to another scene where he's looking at this rock real intently. He goes, if that rock moves before I could, and this eagle swoops in and picks up the rock. He said, what could you possibly need that for? You know? And then the last one, he's, he's peering over this uh, egg, and he goes, if this egg hatches before I get to the count of ten, I won't go. And he goes, one, and the egg starts to hatch. And he goes, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Whoo! And he walks away. He's like, I'm going. Good. And then the egg hatches. So he goes. He goes to the flower festival. And he does what a bull would do at a flower festival. Y'all ever heard the, the term bull in a china shop? That's exactly what happens. He tears everything all to pieces. He catches this baby's carriage and like slings it around. The baby's okay. No, no babies were harmed in the making of the movie. But he turned into a bull, right? And because he done what he wasn't supposed to do, they came, they captured him, and guess where they sent him? Back to the Casa de Toro. This reminded me of a passage of Scripture. Some of y'all are thinking, what? <laughs> but it did. Proverbs 14 and 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Our own way leads us right back to our bondages. Right back to where we don't want to be. That's exactly what happened with Ferdinand. If he would have just obeyed his master, stayed in the field, kept to himself, he would have been okay. But because he wanted to do it his way, he found himself back in the place of bondage that he escaped from to begin with. And that's just like you and I. We have a set thing in our mind that it, it seems right. This is right to me. If I do this, I'll be okay. This is the right way to do it. But the Bible says that the way that seems right to us will inevitably lead to death. And I want to encourage you this morning that we can't cut corners in this thing we call life. We can't cut corners in this thing we call Christianity. Why? Because it will always leave us lacking fulfillment. It'll always leave us lacking or a hole of emptiness somewhere in our hearts. Naaman had done that for years. He lived with leprosy for years. Why? Because he thought he could handle it his way. He thought he could do it his own way. So hear me when I say that this morning. Point number one, our own way leaves us lacking fulfillment. But point number two is this, partial obedience doesn't bring total results. 
I'm going to say it again. Partial obedience doesn't bring total results. How many of you all that, that have kids ever wanted to surprise your kid with something or do something special for your kid and you put a clause at the beginning of it? If you do this, we will do this. Have you all ever done that before? I've done that before. And then have you all ever noticed that majority of the time they will do the least amount of what you ask them to do but still expect the full result? Have you all ever noticed that's exactly the way God does us sometimes? You know, it wasn't until Naaman went under for the seventh time that he got healed. The seventh time was the most important time. He, he could have went down five times and walked away and never got his healing. He could have went down six times and said, oh, you know what, I'm done, cool. Went home, him and his leprosy. But the truth is, is that it took all seven times. Why? Why seven times? You know, and I, and I questioned myself, why seven times? I'm that guy. And I asked the Lord, Lord, why seven times? And I was expecting some deep theological answer, and you know what God told me? Because I said so. <laughs> and it works the same way for us as parents, right? Mom, Dad, why do I need to do this? And our favorite answer sometimes is, because I said so, right? But the truth is, is that Naaman did not receive his healing until he went down seven times. Why? Because partial obedience does not result in, in um, it does not result in total, uh, what's the word? Results. Sorry. It doesn't bring total results. Partial obedience doesn't bring total results. See, give me forgiveness up here, guys. Give me some grace. I'm still... Still preaching, right? Still trying to learn this thing. Anyway, partial obedience actually results in faulty, uh, faulty expectations. Did you know that? Partial obedience results in faulty expectations. What do you mean, Pastor Joe? I mean this. When you do something halfway and you don't get the results that you anticipate, don't be mad at God because that's on you. It's on you and only you, Right? I'm going to break it down a little bit further. We don't skip steps in recipes and still anticipate the flavor. Do we? We shouldn't do the same when we cut corners in our lives. So, I got something pretty awesome for you this morning. I brought brownies for everybody. This is not the brownies that I brought, but I did bring some brownies. Is this a box of brownies Yes or no? I've heard yes. I've heard no. I've heard it's mixed. And the answer it's mixed is right. This is not brownies. This is mixed. Brownies are the result of mixing the ingredients together and following the process. However, I got brownies for everybody. Hang on. Here's my brownies for everybody. Who wants some? <laughs> Truth is, is if I open this box and I begin eating this, and I'm going to try some of it just for the sake of being that guy. Some of y'all are looking at me like, uh, but it's stout. It's stout. Okay. Anyway. Although this came from this box, it doesn't give me what I'm anticipating. 
If I opened this box and I ate the mix, would I be eating brownies? No. If I read the instructions that's on that box and then I eat the mix, will I be eating brownies? No. If I completed half of the instructions on this box by adding three eggs, water, and vegetable oil and mixing it together, would I be eating brownies? No, but I would be licking the spoon. Come on, somebody. Okay. Listen. Because this has the potential to be brownies doesn't mean that it is brownies. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Because you have potential to be something doesn't automatically make you that something. Come on, somebody. How do we get to that result? You have to commit and follow through to the ingredients and to the process. I know some of y'all were anticipating me coming in here and, and building you up and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. But the truth is, is a lot of times God has a great plan in our lives and God has a great, uh, a great vision for us. I, as a chef or as a, a baker, I can see what these look like. I can anticipate their taste. Why? Because I know what it takes to make them what they need to be. And God does the same thing with us. He knows what it takes and he knows what we have to have in order to become what he anticipates us to be. The difference between this brownie mix and me is this brownie mix is subject to me. I decide if I'm going to become what God wants me to be or not. I'm the one who decides if, if God is going to get every ounce of me. I'm the one that decides. If I mix this up and put it in the oven, I have made brownies. But if God has a vision for me and a plan for me, that's not going to come to pass until I say, Okay, Lord, tell me the ingredients, tell me the process, and I'll submit to it. Otherwise, I have potentials to be brownies, but I'm just mixed. Come on, somebody. If we want the will of God in our lives, we have to submit to God. Not just halfway, but the whole way. Why? Because partial obedience doesn't bring complete results. The box says, preheat oven to 350 degrees, right? Yeah? Put it in the pan, okay? I got to add eggs, water, and oil in a large bowl. Okay, so I got the mix in the large bowl, so I'm good. No. Partial obedience doesn't bring complete results. I want to challenge you this morning. In order to have the victory of God in your lives, and in, in my life, and in your life, and in our life, and in this church, and as a, as a body of believers, if we want the victory of God in our lives, Cutting Corners does nothing but having us feel less valued, leaving us right where we started, and wanting more. Have y'all ever been there before? You don't feel worthy, you don't feel adequate, you don't feel good enough, you don't feel... And could it be because we've not surrendered to the ingredients and the process that God has in our lives? You know, I, I've discovered along this journey 
that there's been plenty of times that I've prayed for God to do something in my life, and then I get mad when He doesn't do it. But He doesn't work that way. What do you mean, Pastor Joe? Prime example. I've prayed for patience before. God, I need patience. Lord, please give me patience. I want patience. And you know what God does? He doesn't give me patience. But He gives me opportunities to be patient. God, I want you to fix my anger problem. Because I used to snap off somebody. Come on. I used to, it didn't take nothing for me to light a match under somebody, watch them burn, and then enjoy the ashes, okay? It didn't take nothing for me to be that person. And I begged God, God, please help me with my anger. Please fix this error in my life. And you know what God done? He didn't come out and put his hand over me and remove my leprosy of anger. But he said, okay, here's an opportunity for you to not be angry. Truth is, as many of us have begged God to do things in our lives and we did not appreciate the results that we were given. Why? Because we didn't commit to the ingredients and the process. And just like Naaman this morning, God wants to do a great work in your life. And you've been begging Him to do a great work in your life. God, I, I, I want more of you. I need more of you. I want to be everything you want me to be. I'm ready. And we're pumped, you know. And sometimes we'll come in here and the Holy Spirit's moving. And we're ready to fight hell with a water pistol. And we go outside. And, and then the next thing we, we get in our car and the, the check engine light comes on. And, you know, everything's gone. Why? Because we expect God to change everything for us. Like Genie from Aladdin, right? Three wishes. But he looks at us and he says, I will help you through this if you'll commit to the ingredients and the process. I keep saying in the process because the process is important. The process is important. What's the process? Taking the ingredients that God's given us, mixing them together, and putting them in the heat for a while. I don't know about you all, but there's been plenty of times God's been doing something in my life where I committed to the process and the ingredients, and I didn't enjoy the heat. <laughs> you know? And I want to, and listen to me when I say this, we want to bail halfway sometimes, don't we? All right, Lord, I'm trying, I'm trying, and then it gets too hard, and then we're like, I'm out. I'm dipping. You know, I'm leaving. But the truth is, is when we learn to take God at His word, and we learn to lean in with faith, and we learn that simple obedience leaves us with the results that God anticipated us to have. Simple obedience. Why? Because Naaman went to the nasty Jordan and dipped himself seven times. And when he came out, he was made whole. Why? Because he took God at his word. All right, Lord, you said it. If you said it, I'm going to do it. And think about the process for a second. He took God at his word, and with his faith, he leaned into the process. And he went to the river. Dip number one. Dip number two. Nothing's happening. <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting aggravated. Dip number three. This is stupid. This water stinks. Dip number four. Dip number five. Dip number six. And I would dare say by dip number six, one of two things was happening. He was ready to give up, 
or he was full of anticipation. And when dip number seven happened, the Bible says that he came out with smooth skin as of a child. I don't know about you, but God wants to give us an answer this morning for 2021 that we've been begging for for a while. But we just need to learn to commit to the process. You might be on step number five. You might be on step number six. You might be on step number one where he's not doing it the way you thought he was going to do it. But the truth is, is as long as you don't cut corners, God said he's faithful to do his part as long as you're faithful to do yours. I know some of us don't like that preaching because it calls us to do something. It calls us to step out on faith. It calls us to trust in the Lord's ways, right? The Bible says lean not to your own understanding. But trust in the Lord. Come on, somebody. And it's hard. Can I be honest, Pastor Joe, <laughs> up here? You know, I've got pastor in front of my name. I have a seminary degree. It's hard to trust the Lord sometimes. But he's always faithful. I want to encourage you. You may stand in need of something today, but you've never surrendered your way for his way. And today is that day. Now is that time. You've wanted to do it your way for a while. You, you, you know what to do, you know, you might be in this place, you know what to do and what God's anticipating from you, but you've not really surrendered to that 100%. Well, today's that day. Now is that time. It's that moment. So if you would, let's just bow our heads in, in anticipation that God's going to do something. If you're in the room this morning and say, Pastor Joe, I've never really surrendered my own way to his. I have never said, God, take the control of my life. Lead me, guide me, and direct me. If you've never done that and you'd be honest this morning and you want to, would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So maybe you're in the room this morning and you say, Pastor Joe, I, it's hard to trust. It's scary to trust because what if it doesn't happen? I challenge you to lean into faith this morning and say, from this moment on, what God says, I'm going to try my best to do. How God says to do it, when God says to do it, where God says to do it, moving forward, I'm going to do my best to do that. If you would make that commitment this morning, would you raise your hand? Awesome. All over the room. All over the room. So at this time, if you want to come to the altar, the altar is open. We're not going to... We're not going to tarry here long, but I just want to encourage you. This altar is open. This is a judgment-free zone. There's not a single person in this room this morning that can look down our noses on anybody because we all need the grace of God. And I encourage you, now's the time. Now's the moment. If you want to come, come. If you want to move, move.